That's、uh, Romans chapter fourteen, verses seven to nine. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that He might beat the Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of the Lord. Well,、uh, good morning and、uh, welcome. If you're next door or live streaming, just want to remind you that we have、uh, questions、uh, that you can ask,、uh, text in at any time.、Uh, actually, it's a Google form, so just type it in. This will help us collect questions for Fresh, which is starting on Tuesday. I'll tell you a bit more about that later.、Um, and if we have time,、uh, I'll try and answer a couple of them、uh, before we finish up today. I have a question for you, and、uh, actually, I'll give you like a minute to talk about it with someone around you. What is your personal favorite animated Disney or Pixar film? Okay, it's got to be the animated ones. All right. What is your favorite one? Grant, have a chat about it. I wonder what you came up with.、Um, my favorite growing up was definitely Aladdin. I had a big crush on Princess Jasmine when I was a kid. Uh, but of course, the most successful, as you will probably know, is the Frozen franchise. Frozen Two is the most、uh, the, the most successful one financially, and the Frozen One before that. And I and I think one of the things that made Frozen so successful, apart from the great music and animation, is that it really captured the essence of what people think is most important about life today. Right? I mean, this idea that. What's most important is we we are free to live life defined by ourselves and not by anyone else. Yeah, I mean that's really the essence of, of Frozen. You're free to live life how you define it, not by anyone else. And it's not just Elsa、uh, who, who 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 kind of promotes this message or car- her character in a story does. It's actually pretty much all the main characters. Anna is like that. Kristoff is like that. And of course, Olaf, our favorite snowman, is all about that too. But you see it in the lyrics of the, you know, the famous song, don't you? I mean, Elsa is fighting against this idea that someone else has to define you. So don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl. You always have to be concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. And and this kind of view of life, as 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 frozen and and as we mostly think, will lead you to misery. And it's and it's true, isn't it? A lot of people do feel confined and、uh, can't be themselves, and the expectations, especially of parents and society in in ethnic cultures. I don't know if you're part of a group called Subtle Asian Traits on Facebook. All right, story after story about what the parents made you do growing up and how you feel like a disappointment to them. Like we know how that feels, and it's horrible. Right, that kind of view of life leads to misery. Instead. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Now I've got stuck in your head, don't I? Sorry. Okay. So you see, to be happy, we need to look inside, not look outside. This week I stumbled across a meme that actually went this far and said this: "There is nothing outside of yourself. Look within. Everything you want is there. You." Are that? See what it's saying? Inside of you and me are dreams, desires, hopes that need to be embraced and expressed. 
And society functions best when we are all free to be able to be who we want to be. Is that what you think? Is that what you believe? Well, it's a huge and a stark contrast, isn't it, with the Bible's view. The Bible's view is that actually life is best lived, defined by God and lived under His rule. Now, we read it out earlier. Remember what it says? It says, none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. That's Jesus. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, you put that next to let it go, Elsa, and you go around and ask your friends or ask people on the street, which is the one you want to live by? Which is the one that seems more attractive to you? 100% they're going to say, Elsa. Because this Bible's view of life just doesn't seem that great. The, the Elsa view of life, life defined by me, free to be who I want, that is pretty much the default unquestioned view. And I want to suggest even for the majority of followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. Is it possible? Is it possible that despite appearances, that real happiness and fulfillment in life won't come by life defined by me. Is it possible that the Bible, rather than let it go, presents the life really worth living? Well, that's actually my goal today, to show you that actually it is possible. Now, to do this, I'm going to firstly take our common view of identity and then freedom and see if these two things, identity and freedom, as our culture understands it, whether it really delivers what it claims to. So firstly, identity. Um, in non-Western cultures, and also in the West, at least until about the middle of the 20th century, the majority of people believe that who you are is defined by what's outside of you. That's what the majority of people believed in the West even, and still in non-Western cultures. So your family defined, your society, the, the, the government or the state, and certainly religion. But that's all changed, hasn't it? Now, who you are and your self-worth cannot come from outside of you, but inside you. So finding who you are and being free to pursue that, that is the most valued and cherished thing now. That's the thing that's going to make you happy, all right? So it's you be you, you do you. That's going to make you happy. Now, compared with many aspects of um, traditional culture, what used to happen in the West, what is still in non-Western cultures... You, you, you want to actually say that's actually a good thing in many respects, right? I mean, so many people, as I said, felt forced by external authorities and constraints that are actually oppressive, that can be harmful for physical and mental well-being. But here's the thing, is the answer, this antidote, the solution to that, is it to go the direction of our culture completely, the whole way? I think there's a few problems when we actually think of identity in that way. The first problem is this. You look into your heart, and what are you going to find? You're not going to just find one desire, are you? You're going to find many desires. And you're going to discover that some of these desires will contradict each other. Like, for example, say you really desire to have a successful career in a particular field, but then you fall in love. Now, because of the nature of that career 
and the nature of that relationship, you simply cannot have both. Like, that's not too hard to imagine, right? No lots of people in those shoes. So what then? You've got these two competing desires. Now, maybe you will think, well, one of these desires, maybe for career or maybe for love, that is more me. That is the real me. And so you'll go with that one. But have you ever asked the question, how can you be so sure that that desire, as opposed to the other one, is the more you? I mean, and also, how can you be so sure that your internal desires are arranged in such an orderly way anyway? You know, that one's on top and one's deeper. Like, how do you know? How do you assume that that's how they're arranged? In fact, if you know uh, the work of Sigmund Freud, he built his whole approach to psychology critiquing the idea that our internal desires are either orderly or even positive. Freud was pretty much negative about what really lies underneath. Our desires are all inherently selfish and antisocial. That's Freud. How do you know that that's not the case? Also, what do you do about the changing of your desires? I mean, our desires constantly change. Now, here's the thing. If my identity is built on what I feel and what I want, but these constantly change, then all of a sudden, I have no fixed identity. How can I be sure who I really am? Do you see what I mean? If you build identity in terms of your internal desires, you're constantly in flux. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's okay. I like winging it. I'm happy to be changing. I'm happy to have my identity, who I really am, constantly changing. I'm evolving, right? I'm getting better. But here's the thing. Why assume that your evolution is getting better and not worse? And also, it might be livable for you to be like this, constantly changing your identity, but guaranteed it is not livable for those who try to live with you and try to love you. I mean, imagine the kind of husband I would be to Karen if my identity constantly... I mean, she has difficulty keeping up with my changing hobbies. Imagine if every few years I'm like, Karen, the real me is going to be something else. And then a few years later, no, 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 no. The real me is going to be that. Try and live with someone like that. Okay? It's pretty hard. Secondly, from where? Is it really true that we can just define who we are by looking inwards anyway, with no outward references or forces shaping or constraining us? Is that actually possible? Is that true? Let me uh, give you a hypothetical. Imagine this. Um, A samurai in feudal Japan, okay? He has got two desires, One is this aggression, this desire for aggression to exact revenge on someone who has insulted his honor, right? And and, and that's one of his desires. In an honor-shame society, that's the aggressive desire. And in that society, he will say, well, that's the real me. Someone insults my honor, I'm going to swing a sword at him and cut, cut his head off. But then he has this other desire. Say, in feudal Japan, this samurai has a desire And it's a very strong same-sex attraction. Now, what's he going to do? Being a samurai, he will identify with the first feeling. He will take vengeance and chop someone's head off. Will feel no shame and regret. But what will he do with the second? He will likely, almost definitely, reject and suppress the same-sex desire. He will say, no, that's not the real me. I will have to control and suppress that. All right? Now, imagine a second person, a person living in Sydney, Australia today with the same two desires. A strong desire for aggression and revenge and same-sex attraction. What's going to happen for this person? Who's going to be the real person? Like, who who are they going to think? They're going to think, well, I will identify with the second, my same-sex attraction, but I'm to suppress, maybe, you know, have some counseling or some anger management because I'm not to go around with a samurai sword and chop someone's head off. Do you see what I mean? 
In fact, someone recently did that and killed someone, and now they're guilty of manslaughter. Now, what does this show? It's just a hypothetical, but it shows you that it is actually an illusion to think that identity is simply an expression of inward desires and feelings. See, no one identifies with all of their strong inward desires. Not the samurai nor the Sydney Australian modern person. Rather, we all have some kind of filter, don't we? A set of beliefs and values to determine which ones we ought to value and pursue and which ones we need to suppress and not pursue. It was different for the samurai because he lived in one society. It's different for someone in Sydney, Australia because they live in another society. And that's my point. Where do these values come from? They don't come from inside. They come from your community. They come from your society. They come from outside of yourself. It's an illusion to think that we are the determinative factor. Do you see what I mean? And so my third point under this one, what happens in a world where God is out of the picture? You might be thinking, oh, now we're free to do anything. No, exter- no, 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 that's not the case. What happens is the external values that we mostly conform to are unknowing to us. We're manipulated to conform to these ones because it's set by our culture. You don't believe me? Go and check out teenagers. Teenagers, every single teenager wants to be an individual, be themselves. Only as an individual, they look exactly like the individuals around them. The pressure to conform to new external standards, I want to argue, and you probably have experience, it's actually even more crushing today, isn't it? You take God out of the picture, it doesn't mean there are no externals. There are more crushing external standards. Now who you are is defined by uh, your celebrity idols. It's defined by social media. It's defined by your consumer goods, what sneakers you own, what phone you have. The message is you've got to be brilliant. You've got to be beautiful. You've got to be hip. You've got to have it all. And if you don't, and if you fail, there is no mercy. There's only rejection. Young people today are more lonely, more depressed, more anxious, more self-harming than ever. And who can blame them? You see, you build your life on the let it go view Your self-worth is actually more fragile than ever, especially in the face of failure and difficulty. So that's identity. Let's have a look at freedom. See, in this view, tied to this view of identity, um, the view is we all need to be free. We all need to have no external constraints. We can pursue who we really want to be. It's actually the message of my favorite Disney film, Aladdin. It's also the message of Mulan, pretty much every other Disney film. Um, But once again, does this view of freedom, unconstrained individual freedom, does it actually work and does it actually satisfy? Well, again, I want to firstly ask, which one? I don't know if you've seen this meme, choose your heart. Have you seen this? Have a look at it. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your heart. So on, you can read the rest. But do you see what it's saying? And it's, it's a lot of truth to that, right? Now, each of this, each of these de- involves a choice. But you'll notice a choice of giving up one set of freedoms in order to have another. You, you got that? Like marriage is the first one. If I want to be loved and enjoy my marriage and my family, I've got to live under certain constraints. I can't go and flirt with every other female I see. I certainly can't go and sleep around. I certainly can't be um, out of the house 
so much that I'm never relating to my kids. There are so many constraints that I must put myself under because if I don't, I will never enjoy the freedoms and the joys of marriage and family. You, you get that, right? That's the whole marriage is hard, divorce is hard, choose your heart. And so you see the point. Real freedom has, has never been about no constraints. That's impossible. It, it, it's about choosing your constraints. So that by giving up certain freedom, you can gain other freedoms. I think we understand that, don't we? But you might object, well, but I get to determine which freedoms I give up and which freedoms I choose. And the answer is actually, yeah, no, not really. You, we don't get to determine them. We recognize them. You acknowledge which freedoms you need to give up and need to um, pursue. You don't create them. I'll just give you an example. Um, a 40-foot yacht. A 40-foot yacht is constrained by its, what? Its design. You put a 40-foot yacht on the land, it's not very free. You put it in shallow water and it's not very free either. It's most free where? On the open seas. Why is it most free on the open seas? It's because it's the way it's designed. See, I'll argue that freedom comes when you recognize your design and live in conformity to that. That's real freedom. That's the 40-foot yacht in the open seas. I'll talk about that more later. The other problem with our view of freedom is this. In a society, if everyone is free to live by how they want, every individual free to pursue their individual freedoms, you know what you get, right? You don't get freedom for everyone. Okay, because the truth is the exercise of my freedom can harm your freedom and your freedom can harm my freedom. And so this view of freedom actually leads to either anarchy, chaos, or it probably, as we see in society, it leads to greater inequality among citizens. There's going to be some who are more free than others. Or it's going to lead to more freedoms having been taken away by the government. Because that's the only way the government can balance competing freedoms. If everyone's living for their own freedoms, someone has to step in, right? In a world without God, it's got to be more of the government has to step in so that it can try and balance freedoms. And it's also, by the way, not only when freedoms clash. Um, this view of freedom, I get to be who I am, be what I do what I want, you get to do what you want, it's actually irresponsible and really antisocial. Like, for example, I might think, that for me to take up smoking is my choice. As long as I don't do it in the home, I don't do it in crowded spaces, you know, so it's not harming anyone but me in terms of passive smoking. And I'm free to do that. And in a sense, I am. But see, if I think that, and if I think that's the only thing that constrains me is as long as I don't harm anyone, I'm just harming myself. If I think that, you know what, I'm not taking you into account that there are people who love me and they're affected by more than passive smoking, right? Like if you're in a relationship, you don't, you're not an island. There are people who love you, have invested time and energy into loving you. And so if I exercise the freedom of smoking, what am I doing? I'm damaging my health and fitness and shortening my life. And you might be thinking, well, that's my business. And in some sense it is. But not if I'm a person in a relationship. Not if there are people who love me. Because if there are people who love me, then I hurt them, don't I? Because they care about my health. And if in relationship with them, I am obligated, for example, with my children, my wife, to be alive for them and active 
as long as I can. Do you see what I mean? It's not just when they clash. If I think it only matters to me, I'm not recognizing the fact that no one is an island. We live in relationships. Everything we do affects each other. Let me go further. Our modern view of freedom actually leads also to a new crushing slavery. Actually takes away freedom. You see, we have ditched old gods and we've actually replaced them with new ones. Those of you who are um, avid readers or know anything about uh, postmodern writers, uh, one really famous one is David Foster Wallace. He's now passed away. Uh, he's not a Christian, by the way. And he, he, he said this, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, sorry, it's very small, I'll read it out. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. You worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You see, in a post-Christian world, yes, we've had the freedom to ditch God. And we think we've ditched God so that we can be free to pursue the things that we want to pursue. Only these things we pursue actually makes us slaves. You cannot choose not to worship. Everyone worships. Except here's the thing, those replacement gods that we worship, whether it's money or beauty or power or intellect, they are more brutal and more unforgiving When you fail. So here's the thing. What if there is an alternative to all of this? What if there is an alternative? What if there is a more satisfying sense of self? A more liberating kind of freedom that you can have. But it doesn't come from inside of you. But from outside of you. What if it comes from the one who made us? And loves us. And so let's look at Jesus. Because the answer is, there is. The answer is Jesus. It's from Jesus. And today, no matter who you are, you've had a religious upbringing or not, you've been to church or not, doesn't matter. Today, I want to say Jesus is going to invite you. He's going to offer you something so much better. Let's look at freedom first. Remember, true freedom, it doesn't come with life, come from life without constraints, without limitations or boundaries. It's actually about living within the constraints of how you were designed to live, like the yacht in open water, how you were designed to live. So you want to see true freedom and true humanity in action? Firstly, look at Jesus. I mean, have you read about Jesus? If you haven't, Pick up a Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies of Jesus. You will read a man who always lived under God's rule, right? He lived submitting to God's rule, but he was the freest and most satisfied human being who ever lived. But more than that, Jesus did something for you and me to guarantee that living his way is best. 
That's actually the passage we read, the, the bit that um, is highlighted. All right, none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Look at that highlighted bit. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You see, why is it that you can trust Jesus enough to live under his rule and know that he will not abuse you, he will not oppress you, he will not actually take away your ultimate freedoms? How do we know that? It's the cross of Jesus. Because he actually gave up his freedom and his rights for us. This is actually one of the passages the kids will look at in Sunday school today. Philippians chapter 2. Look what it says. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how you know you can live under his rule, because he would give up his freedoms for yours. Pastor Tim Keller said this, what if there is a true God? And what if, as the New Testament declares, he came to earth to die for our sins on the cross? Then there is one Lord who, when we fail him, will not punish us, but forgive us. If you serve your career, your career will never die for your sins. If you live for your career and you fail, it will crucify you inside with self-loathing. But Jesus was crucified for you. What about identity? Well, a far more secure identity is found in Jesus. Because for the follower of Jesus, for the Christian, your identity is not achieved, but received. You got that? Your identity is not achieved, but received. And that's better than both the traditional, the pre-modern and the modern alternatives. In the traditional view, yes, it's true. It can be really oppressive. Your identity is everything society or family tells you to be. And so you conform or you be rejected. That's a traditional view. But I, I hope to show you the modern view hasn't been any better, like it sounds better, but in the end, you also have to conform. Just a different kind of crushing conformity or be rejected. But both of them are achievement-based. That's the point. Both of them offer no forgiveness or mercy when you fail. Jesus offers you an identity that you do not have to work for. It's received. He'll give it to you for free. It's not achieved. And so when it comes to identity, this is what J Jesus is saying. And I, and I want you to hear this as his word, perhaps today, this is what he is saying to you. And, and, and only you will know that. Jesus says, find yourself in me, in who I say you are. Because I created you. And I know you better than you know yourself. By dying in your place and paying the price for your sins, I have secured you for all eternity. You are mine and I love you. You don't have to find your identity in your performance or in how well you measure up to others. You are already accepted unconditionally and loved unconditionally. 
And when you fail, I will always forgive you because I love you and I gave my life for you. Is he saying that to you today? We're going to listen to a song. Just stay seated. And then I'll come up and give you an invitation, maybe today, to change your life.